18th episode of the Promo Guy podcast, brought to you by Mojo, the stock market for sports, and Sleeper, the best fantasy football site, and our new partner for daily fantasy games. Use code TPG when signing up to get a free $100 deposit match. Now, enough sponsor talk. Let's get to a fun episode, including the TPGP Awards and a new segment we are calling Promo Guy Predictions. But first, Nick, I got to say, all your big fancy talk about the Ravens, and of course, they go down in what, game two of the preseason? What do you have to say for yourself? I'm just happy I said that this was not something I would bet straight up without it being in a parlay. So, so far in the preseason, I had one parlay win and one parlay loss. And if, as most parlays go, I was plus money on the first one, then I look at myself as being net positive. So, um, yes, they were both about they were about minus three hundred each game, but um, no, no, they were minus one thirty against Washington. Honestly, they're actually now plus one. They're actually now plus one twenty in their next game. Uh, well, that was a good line that we got, but they're like pick them or plus one hundred five, something like that in their next preseason game and are you taking honestly I'm I'm happy to say I just assume they were minus 300 because I am not at the level of degeneracy that I am actually betting uh preseason football but I am I'm very excited to actually start wagering again we're about two weeks away wait 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 wait. you're telling me you never you didn't even bet on the Ravens preseason I got no less than five messages or replies saying like uh, you know, Nick mentioned that they that they haven't lost. Like I felt, the first str- I felt strongly it. about it in theory. <laughs> I this, that was not a money where my mouth is. And you're making up some nonsense about your parlay win. This this is this is reminding me of when you told me that we bet on the Heat Nuggets. Yeah, I can't believe how much money I made off you that time. Um, <laughs> let's. Uh, let, we, oh man, I'm embarrassed to share this show. Right, with you. right before we started recording. Uh, we got into a bit of a debate that's been going around social media these days, and I'm glad we're on opposite sides of it. You are on the magic side of the who is the best point guard debate. I'm leaning towards Steph. You want to give me 30 seconds on your opinion here? Yeah, 30 seconds is in 12 seasons, magic was top three in MVP. It was a top three MVP finisher nine times. I think Steph's only done it three times. He won more MVPs. He went to more finals. He won more championships. Uh, Like, everything was just better. And again, this all has to be for their era, right? Because Steph is literally probably or definitely better than Magic was. You know how I feel about, like, guys from 30, 40 years ago not being as good as the guys today. That's obvious. But who was more dominant, who was a better player in their era? It was Magic. The only argument you can really make if you're doing like an all-time thing for Steph, and I'm curious how you're going to go with it here, is that if you're putting him next to like, let's say a lineup of LeBron, Giannis, Michael Jordan, and Shaq, let's say. And I put Giannis there intentionally instead of like a, a Larry Bird or a Kevin Durant because you have a bunch of guys who are great athletes, great scorers, not necessarily spacing the and you have a guy like LeBron, especially who's such a great passer, Magic may, yes, he could set those guys up great, but you you may prefer Steph to just space the court out a little bit better. And like, if you're playing against the aliens, he might be on a lot of those 
teams where you figure it's going to be able to get open shots or you can't let him get open shots and that space has been poured out for guys like MJ, LeBron, Giannis, Shaq, whatever, to, to dominate the paint. But, okay, you go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed you just worded that so perfectly. I fully agree. <laughs> I, I thought that you were going to be a little bit more gung-ho that Magic is the better player. I fully agree Magic had the better career. Steph's isn't completely over. Um, I, I don't even think it's worth... I know a lot of sports analysts have gotten into the debates about who their teammates are, and Kevin Durant went down, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar went down, and who filled in better, and I've seen a lot of that stuff. They both had great Hall of Fame teammates. They're both fantastic players. Magic was playing in a more diluted league with a little bit less talent, and was able to be one of the top three players in the league 75% of the time, was able to make the finals 75% of the time. He has more first-team All-NBAs. There was there was less competition. He didn't have to deal with Chris Paul dominating the first-team All-NBA spot for a while, and now he's fighting for spots against Luka and all these young, other young kids. It, it was a lot easier for Magic to make the first-team All-NBA, but... I fully agree. Steph is the better player. I, I If I have to build a team, he does more things. Right. 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 I, but my, my team would never include guys from that far back, uh, realistically. But uh, I guess my last thought on this, to, to your point, just to make to emphasize it, Steph throughout his entire career, basically up until very recently, like in a given year, was barely ever considered head, head and shoulders above, you know, his, the other point guards, right? Like, when he was young, Chris Paul was considered better. And then when Steve Kerr took over and he became the best, there was still like Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul was still around. Like there were still guys, and then Kyrie Irving after 2016. So that was what? Uh, after Steph had only won one title and one that Kyrie was hurt for. Kyrie, then a lot of people said, oh, he outplayed Steph in the finals. Maybe Kyrie's better. Maybe you prefer him. In those situations, like, and now, right, you have the Lucas of the world. So when you talk about, you know, how dominant they were, Magic was always the best point guard. Isaiah was was always the clear second. And, you know, I don't even know who third would be. Steph never really had that separation. Yeah, it's honestly a really good point. Cool. Well, you know, you helped me make it. I hadn't really thought of it before. So anyway. I'll take the, I'll t- no pun intended, I'll take the assist. There you go. Uh, okay, let's get to the status stack. Okay, how did everything go this week? Twitter was pretty boring, I'd say, for the most part. Um, I think maybe we were small up. I'd have to check. But, you know, low maxes. There wasn't a ton going on. And don't have too much to say there. Discord, honestly, was an awesome week. We hit, you know, four out of the seven MGM MLB boosts. We hit... Uh, the Caesars Rosario home run thing. Like we, we did really well in the FanDuel thing or two did free bets or at least like we converted them at like 80%. We have like four open. So those were looking really good. So everything, uh, I'm missing some stuff, but everything was going really great. Oh, the VIP boost, the soccer ones hit both of those or two out of three. I think the third one hasn't happened yet. We, we, we hit the MLB VIP boost. So if you're drafting VIP, you had an incredible week. Anyway, all that awesome. But then 
Dinger Tuesday. Uh, I laugh because I, I didn't mean to laugh. It's, it, it's not funny, but uh, we go 0 for, I think it was 13, 0 for 12, lose $300. We do pick up, I think, $145 in free bets. Like I said, we have four open, but it sucks. First time since week one of last year, Dinger Tuesday, that the unlimited group goes 0 for. Um, obviously, we have some free bets from, and, you know, we're, we're still up over $1,700 on the season during Tuesday, and we'll, we'll have the free bets to work with and the open ones. And hopefully we can get back up to like, let's say, $1,900. That, that'd be great. Uh, so this week wouldn't be such a disaster, but still never fun. Not a ton of unlimited people, so not a huge deal. We only had three limited picks to get to the $50 free bets. So only down $75 there, still up, I believe, $1,000. Ten fifty, and then we have all those free bets. So hopefully we can get back up over you know eleven hundred, let's say for limited, but no fun. Um, other than that, really really great week. So you know hopefully those free bets work out. Okay, um, as far as the gambling landscape update, I would say as predicted, <laughs> DraftKings seems to have unloaded a bunch of and other books too. Uh, we'll start with DraftKings. It seems to have raised most people's five dollar maxes. I, I know most people on the judge home run yesterday that hit had 10 or higher. I think basically everyone had 10 or higher. Actually, um, then there was the, the two golf boosts that everybody basically had 10 or higher. Uh, the college football boosts, everybody had 10 or higher. And most people were having like 50, or I don't know, most people, a lot of people had 50 and even higher maxes for some of these. So DraftKings feels like it's back. It's exciting. Football's around the corner. Everybody was doom and gloom. Plus EV era is over, giving me a hard time about this and that. But they're coming out swinging. FanDuel's got some promos back. Um, Caesars has a FIBA World Cup boost. They have the SGP betting get. So it feels like we're back in full swing, and that's really exciting for me. So Gambling Landscape Update is, you know, we are back and we are excited about it. Happy to be back uh, and happy we're excited about it. Did you also have a bit of a Super Bowl promo you wanted to cover here? Uh, yes, I almost forgot. So everybody's asked me like five times a day if I've had a play out yet for the Super Bowl promo. Here's where I'm at with it. So the promo is, and it's not in New York, but that doesn't really affect this. Bet $50 on a team to win the Super Bowl and get a $5 free bet for every win they get. And it's capped at 10 wins. So we've had this promo in the past and... The best thing to do is pick a team that's likely to get a bunch of wins, most likely to get 10 and more wins. Uh, we'll increase the EV. So that's the first component of it. The second component is finding a team that has good odds on FanDuel relative to other books. So that puts our options at. So I'm, I'm actually just going to do this live with you. Chiefs are plus 600. They have the same price everywhere, plus 600. Um, everywhere being MGM. Caesars, DraftKings, Canby, you know, all, all the books. Um, Circa has them at plus 650. So it's not a particularly good line. If you do out the math, you know, because a lot of these teams in the upper range are relatively likely to get to 10 wins, which is where it's capped. I don't, you know, the Chiefs won't be the play, basically. Um, so then next up are the Eagles. They're plus 800 on FanDuel. They are plus 650 on DraftKings, so a, a real drop-off there. Caesars is plus 750. 
Canby is plus 700, MGM is plus 800 as well. So we do have a decent line on the Eagles. The Bills are plus 900 everywhere. So Circa has the Eagles. I don't know where. Oh, there it is. Uh, they have the Eagles at plus 850, I want to say. At eight, plus 800, minus 1,200. So not a great line relative to Circa. But the Eagles are projected a lot of wins. And you have a really nice advantage to, to draft King. So it's tough to say. And they're plus 780 on Pinnacle. So it's tough to say exactly what the fair odds are. But... You look at them as, as definitely a potential option here. And then I'm going to skip over the Bills. There's a plus 770 on Pinnacle now are the Eagles. So I'm going to skip over the Bills because plus 900 is not a particularly good price. So there's no reason why I would take them over the Eagles, who have a better relative price and, um, and are projected more wins. So then you get to the San Francisco 49ers, which a few other people have taken. So the so FanDuel has the Niners at plus a thousand, which is the same price as MGM, as Camby, as DraftKings, and basic and Pinnacles at plus nine thirty seven. So pretty uniformly, and then Caesars is a little bit lower at uh, plus nine hundred. Sorry. So if you just look at at those books, it's not a particularly good price, but. If you go to and, and they're projected less wins than the Eagles, which would make me say Eagles are a clear choice. You get the plus eight hundred bump versus plus six fifty uh, relative to Pinnacle. It's you know about the same. Uh, the Niners are plus nine forty. The Eagles are plus seven seventy. I guess the Niners technically would be a slightly better play there, but the Eagles would still probably be the pick because they're projected more wins. But then that brings us to Circa, who has the 49ers at plus 710, minus 1060, which is confusing to say the least. So it has Niners actually as the favorites in the NFC. It makes every single book basically have a plus EV line to Circa. Circa's generally considered sharper than others. They're the only ones here that have a two-way market. So it makes me lean towards picking the Niners, but I'm kind of just, okay, we have until, um, we have until September 7th. We have a few decent options, namely the Eagles and the Niners. I'm kind of just curious, are these books who clearly see that Circa is at plus 710 minus, what is it, 1060? Yeah, 1060. They clearly see that, and they've left this lineup for at least weeks since I've looked at it. Like, is this going to correct itself? Or are all the books seeing Circa and saying, eh, you're off? Like, someone, to me, someone's got to flinch. Because uh, it's just an odd thing to keep up like this. Not that it doesn't happen, but uh, again, it's kind of a it's kind of a confusing thing. So I'm I'm just waiting, seeing how it plays out. I don't mind if Fanduel moves for one of these. I'll, I'll just pick the other one at that point. But I'm leaning towards the Niners as long as that circle line is up. But I have no problem waiting, seeing if the books move, because we have a good price for the Eagles, who, you know. Are, they're better to, to, to the majority of books. So, I, 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 you know, it's tough to know how much weight you, you put in Circa when my only issue with putting all of that weight in Circa, and I like it for, like, you know, niche game markets or stuff that just opens, things like that. But I don't necessarily love it when their line's been out for months, <laughs> or, you know, however long it's been up, and every book just doesn't care. Like, they, like 
they're just letting you put plus EV lines on one-way Super Bowl odds. It, it seems kind of odd to me. So I'm curious how this will play out. Um, and that's why I've been waiting a little bit. So we, 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 we have two weeks. Yeah, there are a few here that stand out to me a little bit. Looking at this, it's interesting to me that the Jets, the Chargers, and the Jaguars' win totals are all sitting at 9.5. But just because of the Jets being the Hard Knocks team and Aaron Rodgers and having that New York sex appeal are priced as low as 13 to 1 when you can get a team like the Chargers and Jaguars that to me feel like they have... 13 to 1 to win the Super Bowl? You can get a much higher than that. Yeah, no, I'm saying it, it's as looking? bad as 13 to 1. I think I'm seeing 13 to 1 oh, on point. Oh, got it, got like, it, I'm got gonna, it, got In order to make yeah. my point, I'm using the worst odds I can find. Sure, I, sure. Points bet has the Jets at 13 to 1. While the best I can get the Chargers and Jags at, I think I can get the Jags at 30 to 1 and the Chargers at 25 to 1. I think those teams have the same level yep. of playmaking upside, the same level of quarterback upside, and some big explosive names on defense. So it's just crazy to me how far the Jets' preseason hype has gone that you could get a number as low as 13 to 1 when they have nine and a half wins projected this season. There's just, I see really no value there. Yeah, no, there's definitely a disconnect there. I think, I think where that stems from, and it's a good point, is that obviously there's so many tickets going on the jet, but when you make a one-way market, you can sort of get away with that, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, By putting more big on the jets because you know you'll still get action on whatever their their total is. And maybe they're viewed as a more volatile team. But if they have a similar win total in the same conference in a tougher division, you'd think, you know, I don't know, you'd think that their odds would be super, uh, would be similar. Obviously the division factors into their win total, but... But still, it means that they're probably not coming out as a division winner, which will make the playoffs harder. So, yeah, I think it's a good point. I think it's why you always have to be careful with one-way lines, realistically. I mean, the Jets are, you know, small favorites to make the playoffs. Uh, You said the Jaguars. The Jaguars are much bigger favorites to make the playoffs. Yeah, the Jaguars division is very weak. But I don't think it gets much harder. The Chargers have to face... Mr. Mahomes twice a year. So I don't, I don't think it gets much harder than that. Yeah, maybe they think um, heading into the playoffs with the better team kind of evens that out. I'm not really sure, but it's a decent point. Um, anyway, shall we get into what we have next, the awards? Yeah, let's hit some awards. So, All right, let's do it. What are we doing? Some of these we may split up. Uh, I may give a predict a award winner in the NFL. You may give one in college football. But for our first award... The Geno Smith Award for Bounce Back Quarterback of the Year. TPG will be giving you guys a college player that might be the best quarterback bounce back of the year, and I'll go NFL. TPG, who's your bounce back player of the year? This is a tough one, especially with college where you only, you're only there for a couple years and usually guys kind of go a straight line up. Um, I'm between DJ Uliang Malay going to Oregon State. Maybe a better scenario. Obviously, he had a really good first year. Or Tyler Van Dyke, who, you know, was a projected first-round pick, a Heisman K after his great first year, similar to, to DJ, then had a bad year last year, and now has a new offensive coordinator. I'm going to go with Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami. I think that he is a much better player than we saw. He gets some of his receivers back, new offensive coordinator. I think it's just a better situation for him there. So I think that we... We'll see a lot closer. And he had some, some really good games before he got 
hurt last year. The offensive line's better. I, I think Tyler Van Dyke's my bounce back QB year. I think he looks more like the year one guy than the year two guy uh, in Miami. Yeah. DJ would be kind of the only guy that really comes to mind as a potential, maybe like a Graham Mertz, but I just don't think those guys are very good. Okay. I like it. I like it. Bouncing over to the NFL, I think it would be pretty easy for me to say Tua. I believe in the Dolphins a lot this year. I think they'll have a really strong record. They have talent all over the offensive side of the ball. And when Tua was healthy, he was a top five fantasy quarterback. It would be easy to go that direction. But I think I'll stretch a little bit more and I'll say, I think I really like Derek Carr to have a great bounce back year with the Saints. I think they have a really easy schedule. They barely face any of the other top 10 quarterbacks in the league. I think the only other top quarterback he plays this year is Trevor Lawrence. I'm looking at their schedule now. If you want to call Goff or Cousins a top 10 quarterback, then them. But other than that, they get Baker Mayfield twice. They get C.J. Stroud twice. This is a pretty soft schedule. I like him to put up big numbers on an offense with a lot of a lot of talent. Alvin Kamara coming back healthy. I, I like Derek Carr to have a great bounce back year. Maybe Michael Thomas will finally f- play football again. But even if he doesn't, they've got a good, strong, young receiving core. I like that. I like that answer. Yeah. All right, what do we got next? I'm glad we're on the same page with that one. We'll see if we can keep that going. We've got the Cliff Kingsbury Award for the Coach on Vacation by November. Who, what NFL coach is on the hot seat at the beginning of the year and do you see not make, potentially not making it through the season? So if I'm going with college, uh, I think this one, I'm going to have to go with Jimbo Fisher. I didn't really prep for these, uh, but I'm going to have to go with Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I, I just think that uh, after how bad last season was and this being sort of the recruiting class that he brought in, you know, big second year, it has the most, the highest chance of just sort of unraveling early. It's got a couple cupcakes early. They play Miami Week 2, and then they play Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee. I could see after that Tennessee game, if they've lost between Miami, Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, if they've lost three of those, let's say, and they're sort of looking at like a 500 season, I think that they'll just be fed up there. He's somehow survived this long by having, even though he's got a worse record than Kevin Sumlin did with, you know, 2x the amount of resources. And I actually thought it was a great hire, like most people did when they got Jimbo. But he's really struggled. I think the patience is getting thin there. The Manziel doc doesn't help his case where, you know, there's more eyes on AM. And I think a lot of the story was Manziel allowed them to spend more and sort of create, you know, build Kyle Field and whatever the whole thing. So I think that uh, that will kind of, escalate this whole thing and AM might bounce back and be good but if, if i'm thinking of one one guy that they just run out of town i'm going with jimbo fisher i like that answer i like that answer that my nfl answer i'm a little bit torn um i thought that i was going to say brandon staley this will be his third year he went nine and seven then ten and seven i, I think he, no matter what he makes it through the year I think it'll be. T- I don't really see the Chargers going another direction. Uh, I-, I think they will are the kind of team that'll win a game here and there that they shouldn't win, and they'll lose a few here and there that they shouldn't lose. Um, but I think overall they'll probably finish around ten and seven again, like they seem to every year. 
I think more likely a team with very uh, for a coach to get fired mid year, a team has to have high expectations and really not live up to them. And a team that I think might fit that bill is the Buffalo Bills. Um, I think there's a small chance that Sean McDermott doesn't make it through the year. They've been trending up. He's been there since 2017. So it does start. It starts to feel like this will be his seventh season. If they're not going to break through to be a truly elite team. And I, I think they seem to be trending a bit downwards with the Chiefs and Bengals being the two teams to beat in the AFC and them being just a tier below. If they come out and don't get, don't have a strong start to the season and look like they're taking steps back, there's some confusion about Stefan Diggs. They're not having a very smooth training camp. So I think if they underperform, he may, we may find Sean McDermott on the hot seat sooner than you'd expect. Okay. Wow. Um, uh, that's, a, that's a bold one. Are you are you high on the Bills this year? How do you feel about the Bills? I kind of am. I don't know. I mean, what's high on the Bills? Like, could they go twelve and five in a tough division? Yeah, just are and, they still the Bills that feel like they're the class of the AFC East? That well, the AFC East has become so difficult. So I, I just think a lot more randomness. I think the Bills' biggest problem is being in the AFC. I feel great about them if they're in the NFC. Agreed. And yeah, they're not perfect and they're whatever, but and I think that they would be a decent team for the you know make or break year. But I think that I, I just don't see them not winning ten games. And I don't know if you fire McDermott for what's been a really successful run. Just because, you know, they get bounced. The yeah, I mean, the, the whole point of this award is trying to find someone that could be fired midway through the season. All the bad teams in the league right now seem to have coaches that, one, know they're going to be bad and management is aware of that and are dealing with young quarterbacks. You typically don't get fired in your first or second yeah, year although, as a coach. Although, although, how did Cliff Kingsbury end up getting fired, right? They were a team that had some expectations from the year before, hadn't lived up to them, and... They just sort of saw the whole thing run its course, but they they had a really bad record. Yeah, good point. That's where I kind of like the A and M thing. Like they've had expectations, they've underperformed. He sort of still survived, and now is like okay, three and three. You know, I think they mostly survived. And part of it's contract, but part of it is that they they want to keep that recruiting class that he had at least somewhat still intact and give him a chance to see those guys through. But if you're if you've got three or four losses, you know, midway through the season, I think they're like, all right, we tried this. Like, we can't keep this going. But we'll see. I, I like it. I think that he would be pretty plus money to be the first coach fired. So uh, I like the swing. Um, all right. Well, we'll keep it more moving. Uh, let's go with the Atlanta Falcons Award for the best backdoor cover team in the NFL slash NCAA. Who do you like to not be a super strong team? And to honestly look like they are not even going to be covering the spread most weeks and always find a way to get themselves just within striking distance and get that backdoor cover for gambling. This is a tough one. Um, I really enjoyed watching the Falcons last year. They were fun. They covered. They st- I think they started 6-0 and against the spread. I, I loved betting on the no, Falcons they were, yeah, last they were, year. They were doing great. And uh, I, I definitely, like, I've always rooted for Mariota. I think I want to go with, Kentucky football. I think that they are going to have some fight in them. I mean, they always do under uh, Mark Stoops. They got Devin Leary from NC State, who's a pretty good quarterback there. So I can sort of see 
them like down 17 and just keep fighting and get it to 10 and cover like 10 and a half type deal against some of the better teams. And similarly, you know, whatever, down 10 and make it three. Like, I just think that there'll be a team that fights for their coach, has some power, you know, like offensive firepower. Not like one of these great offenses, but but one that can sort of move the ball down the field and pass only situations against some of the better defense in the SEC. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw that. I mean, they play against Georgia. They play against Alabama. Uh, they play against Tennessee. So you'll have some opportunities at some decent spreads. And I think that that maybe is where you see uh, them fight hard. They did this last year They, they where they had – and they've done this for years. Where they've taken better teams and, and had success with them. And I think that they'll continue to be that kind of team. But also having Leary helps in those situations. I like it. I like it. Bouncing over the NFL, I was tempted to say the Steelers, but I don't know if they will be underdogs in all that many games, especially once we get to the second half of the season. Uh, they have the Cardinals, Patriots, Colts. They're at home again. Yeah, no, they'll probably be an underdog at home against the Bengals. But I think I'm going to go with the Colts. I really, I really like what this team could be. Anthony Richardson seems like he's going to be a really fun quarterback for a team with a decent amount of weapons. We'll see what happens with Jonathan Taylor, but I'm a big Michael Pittman fan. Um, and we'll see... We'll see what the Colts end up doing, but I think that they're going to be a team that's scrappy and finds themselves fighting back and covering a bunch of seven and a halfs, uh, a bunch of 10 point spreads when they're playing good teams and just, they're going to be tough to, to really put away. Nice. I, I, I like that one. I think that they would be up there odds wise for like, you know, I mean, I guess every team would be 50, 50, but sort of filling that, that backdoor cover role. Um, I do like it. Okay, what's next? Uh, we'll go with the C.J. Stroud Memorial Heisman Runner-Up Award for the dude who will be in New York but won't win the award. Who do you like? I'm going to go with Caleb Williams. Um, which Really? Which is only controversial in the sense that he's not first, right? Yeah. I think, I think he'll have an awesome year. I just think that the odds, and I think that he – has a very good chance, assuming health, to end up in New York. But it's really hard to go back-to-back Heisman winner. Some of it's voter fatigue, some of it's situation. Um, I think that, like, somebody will have a big year. There's a few guys that are possible. I don't have, like, a predictor for who will actually go out and do it. I mean, I can look at the top. I mean, Drake May comes to mind, but I can look at people talking about, like, Michael Phoenix. I don't know if I see that one as quite as much, but I just think that somebody will emerge. I think he'll be there at the end, but I'm going to take the field on him actually winning. Uh, Jaden Daniels is, is really up there from LSU. Uh, Quinn Ewers from Texas. I actually love the odds. I'm looking at him now. I love the numbers for both Bo Nix and J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, but McCarthy's not going to throw enough. Yeah, and Bo Nix? Bo Nix, I could see. I mean, I don't know if they throw it. A ton, but he, he puts up some decent. I mean, it's just it's just hard to, to think of a guy in the same conference doing it. Like Jaden Daniels could put up the rushing numbers to do it, and LSU is you know a team that could go off. Quinn Ewers could be in you know a high powered Steve Sarkeesian offense. Like there are just guys here. Like I'll take the field over Caleb Williams, but I'd, I'd be surprised if he wasn't in New York. So that's where I kind of think that he should be the favorite to be like there, but not win, even if he is the heavy front runner to actually win. 
Yeah. Did you see the news that came out of Caleb Williams' uh, camp this week? No. What was it? Oh, that he might not go to the he might not go to the draft. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. Do you think that he's actually considering staying for an extra year, or is that just him posturing in case uh, the wrong team gets the first overall uh, pick this next draft? Well, I do think this is sort of an nil fallout where there was a like forever it's been sort of silly when you consider how much money you make in the nfl to stay in college that extra year get your degree you know college is more enjoyable develop your game like you know whatever people who maybe wanted to stay were like yeah i'm not passing up on millions caleb williams let's say he won so he won the heisman last year he let's say he's a runner up this year and and USC makes the playoff or they have a really good year and he comes back for next year, like especially with the leverage that he could go to the draft, he would at, at a school like USC, he would make millions, right? To stay in the money difference. Yeah, he probably wouldn't make what he'd make in the NFL, but the money difference would completely collapse relative to what it's always been. So yeah, we, we don't really see guys for the first pick stay in school, not in a long time anyway. Um, but I think it becomes a lot more plausible in the NIL era. So I wouldn't completely dismiss it. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting. I, I do think it's completely, not completely, I do think it's definitely him just posturing for the first, in case the wrong team gets the first overall pick. Then he has a, a well, pretty that's, legitimate that's, that's option fine. in the past. I'm saying like, like there is a chance that he actually stays just because of the NIL of money, money. Where, yeah. where it didn't matter who had the first pick you probably were going out into the draft just to, to get to that first contract, second contract, right? Yeah. Um, all right, we'll keep it moving because we've got two more awards to get to and we're already running a bit long. We'll try and be quick on these. Let's go with the Garrett Wilson Offensive Rookie of the Year Award. Um, you've got three starting rookie quarterbacks this year. In addition, two running backs that should get a lot of carries. You've got a couple of receivers that might be able to make some noise. Who do you see getting this? Okay, the offensive rookie of the year. So I'm going to do NFL. Uh, I don't really want to speculate on like incoming freshmen from high school. Um, so I'll do NFL. The offensive rookie of the year. I will go with Jameer Gibbs for the Lions. Interesting. It's 10 to 1. I think that just only because they invested so much in him that I imagine he'll end up being featured. He'll be on what should be by far the best team of the guys that sort of have Good odds here. Um, I mean, Bijan's a favorite for a good reason, and then the quarterbacks. But I like the value of Gibbs, so I go Gibbs ten to one. Yeah, I mean, the value is hard to pass up, but I'm gonna go with Bijan. I think that he, the four players that will have the enough opportunity to put up legit numbers are the three quarterbacks and Bijan, and I think there will be enough bad weeks for these quarterbacks. None of them really have a strong enough team around them that... Yeah, I don't think either that any of them... I, I don't think... Years. I think some... Uh, they'll show flashes, and I think they're... I think my favorite of them is Anthony Richardson, I already mentioned. But I think Bijan will have the chance and will be... Uh, they're, they're willing to run him. I think that's kind of the trend going on with running backs these days where you just draft you draft a high highly touted running back and run him into the ground in the first three years and then to decide not to pay him so I, I don't see the falcons holding back or protecting him for any reason i think he'll get 
300 touches this season. And, uh, yeah, I think he'll get the, the opportunity to put up big numbers. Cool. Okay. Uh, let's go to the next one. Okay. And last, we have the Miles Austin Breakout Award for the running back or receiver who is not a rookie, who has been okay in the past, that is going to break out this season and win fantasy leagues for all of his owners. Uh, for me, it's easy. It's Alexander Madison. Uh, and I would say it's I Love would say that. it's cheating because I think most people assume that when Dalvin left, he'd be like a first or second round pick. Um, I can't say I'm in touch enough with like training camp stuff to, to tell you why he's fallen so far. But he has served as a very adequate replacement in the past. And, and I just think all running backs are the same. Dalvin Cook's been a first round pick for however many years he's been in Minnesota. I think that Madison will get plenty of carries unless I'm missing. Again, I could be missing something, but I don't see like another Minnesota running back with a very high ADP. So they're going to have to run the ball. The offense has been good. They just added Jordan Addison. They, they have Justin Jefferson. Like I think this offense will be good again. And I don't see why Madison wouldn't have the potential to absolutely break out. Yeah, same page. Love that call. I'll try and find a receiver. The, though. Oh, was that actually going to be yours? Um, yes, that actually was. So oh, that's awesome. I, I will try and find a receiver instead <laughs> since you went running back and took my guy. Um, I'll go with Christian Kirk. I really think that the Jags are going to have a strong offense this year. And Calvin Ridley's ADP is getting ridiculous. He has the one highlight of him coming out of the break that went viral. And I feel like since then, he's been get, bumping higher and higher. I think he's probably getting off the board in the late in the mid to early third round at this point. So I would almost rather wait and use a sixth round pick on uh, Christian Kirk, who I think can put up. He, he had a really good year last year, and I think he can, might end up being the guy there. Um, and they paid him a lot of money. So I, I think that that does end up factoring in. They'll give him all the opportunity they can. So uh, I'll go with Christian Kirk to be a nice uh, boom option to win you some some fantasy leagues this season. Nice. All right. Let's, what do you think? It sounds good to me, man. Uh, and speaking of fantasy, you should check out last week's episode. Uh, I meant to say this at the top. We've got a ton of great feedback. It's probably the most fun that I think either of us have had doing an episode. Um, and check out Sleeper. They made it really easy. So all that, like, really excited for fantasy this year and hoping we can do more of that uh, as the season goes along, just sort of using the rankings for DFS lineups for start sit kind of stuff. So I'm very excited and appreciative of all the feedback of the last episode and the rankings in general. Okay. Let's uh, cut to break and we'll get to um, promo guy predictions. Is that right? A little college football talk. Let's do it. We'll be right back. Okay. I've got a new promo code for Mojo, the stock market for sports. The code is TPG match. So TPG M A T C H Gets you a 20% deposit match up to $200. Uh, I highly recommend doing this and playing their Sunday Slams promotion, which is only available in New Jersey and has been incredibly profitable for people tailing ROI guy in the Discord. So again, TPG match, 20% deposit match up to $200. All 
right, welcome back in and welcome to Promo Guy Predictions. We're gonna run through each of the five major conferences and Promo Guy's gonna give you his favorite play from each of those conferences. And then at the very end, we'll just do a quick make or break. TPG will give you his program that has the most to win and lose this year, which, which program is going to be boom or bust. And I'll try and find an NFL team that has the highest variance and has a huge make or break year. So without further ado, let's start in the ACC. Promo guy, what you got? The ACC, I will, this one's kind of the easiest one to do. Um, a lot of people are into North Carolina because Drake may, but I think that team is very flawed uh, in general. I think that there's not going to be much of a, a third team. I, I mean, the the competitors would be Louisville, Pitt, Miami, NC State. I don't think any of them pose a huge threat to the top two, two which are Clemson and Florida State. Um, Clemson definitely is a little make or break. New quarterback. They've sort of been struggling at the quarterback position for a few years, but I think that that roster is – a lot stronger than Florida State's overall. I still like Dabo in that program to beat Florida State in the title game. So I'm going to go with Clemson winning the ACC over Florida State. Love that. Love that. Let's keep it moving. Let's go Big Ten. Big Ten. Um, so this one, I mean, you got the three heavy favorites, really two heavy favorites, Ohio State, Michigan, and then some of Penn State in the same division. So that one would be a bit of a – Musical chairs there. Ohio State's the small favorite, uh, just looking at FanDuel. But I do think losing Stroud will hurt them. And they've sort of slowly, quietly, and again, they did put up a hell of a fight against Georgia. But I think that Urban Meyer is a fantastic program builder and that Ohio State maybe is slowly going the wrong way. Michigan brings back a lot of continuity. J.J. McCarthy, if I had to pick a team to win the Big Ten, I would take Michigan. Um, that being said, I love Penn State this year. I think they have a very good chance and their odds should be closer to, you know, a half step behind Ohio State, Michigan rather than maybe like a full step. Just looking at FanDuel, Penn State's plus 600 versus Ohio State, Michigan being plus 165 and plus 180. So I love Penn State. If I were picking one, kind of already have, I picked Penn State to uh, make the playoff at plus 460. I think that. You know, their defense was really great last year. They beat everybody but Ohio State and Michigan last year. Uh, I think that they have some volatility, you know, some upside with the uh, highly talented young quarterback um, taking over for Sean Clifford, who a lot of people like. I just never really liked. Um, so I think that Penn State has a ton of upside second year uh, under Manny, Dief- Manny DS defense. I'm, I'm, I'm very high on Penn State this year. So I, I will take Michigan as sort of the who's the most likely, but I, for the odds, I would definitely go Penn State. On the other side, um, I do think that Iowa is going to, I mean, everybody's just disgustingly sick of watching them play football, and I get that, but I do think that Iowa you know, has a lot of reasons for optimism heading into this year. They return a lot, and uh, I think they could be, could be a, a real threat to Wisconsin. So the odds would say Wisconsin's favored than Iowa. I will go with Michigan or Penn State defeating Iowa in the championship game. So I'll, I'll take a little bit of an underdog in Iowa to win the, the uh, uh, I forget what the divisions are called uh, off the top of my head, but uh, I'll take Iowa to win that division and be the punching bag in the, in the championship game that seems to be 
the annual theme. Although Illinois, I guess, put, put up a decent fight last year, didn't they? Yeah, interesting. I think that Iowa has a bit of a tougher schedule than Wisconsin this year. I don't think Wisconsin is playing either Michigan State or Penn State. Um, so I kind of like Wisconsin's. The, I'm not going to have a play for most of these because I'm not too dialed in on college football. But one play that I've I've loved all off season. You, you, sorry, you you mean um you mean Michigan or yeah, you don't mean Michigan State. I mean I guess they also don't. But, Correct. Um, I assume I assume you're talking about Michigan. I was <laughs> and. Yeah, I'm just looking at Wisconsin's schedule. I love their over eight and a half wins. Um, I think you can chalk up Ohio State as an automatic loss. Probably at Purdue's a tough one. But our other away games are at Illinois, at Indiana, at Minnesota. I, 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 I don't see why any of those get away from Wisconsin. I love Luke Fickle coming in. I think all of the things that you expect out of Wisconsin football will be there. We'll still have the best offensive line in the division and a run game, but finally have a passing game to go with it. So I, I love, I love Wisconsin this year. I know. I, I just, I just hate, and, and, and Luke Fickle's obviously been great, but you know, those, those, those group of five moving to power five moves don't always work, especially immediately. I mean, look over at Scott Frost. Uh, who's in a similar situation. Wisconsin only won six games last year. So, you know, they went four and five in conference. So they, they lost to Iowa 24 to 10. So I just have a tough time predicting such a huge, you know, leap year over year. It doesn't even feel like a huge leap to me, though. It's not like Wisconsin was getting blown out. Their defense is always going to be an elite defense. It's just we were a team that wasn't able to put up any points. I mean, they lost... 34 to 10 to Illinois. They lost 52 to 21 to Ohio State. They lost 24 to 10 to Iowa. I mean, those aren't like, I, yeah, they had the double overtime loss to Michigan State. They also only beat Nebraska by one late in the year. I'm not a Graham Mertz fan. Maybe they'll do well moving off him, but uh, I don't know. I, look, Wisconsin is the favorite for a reason, but I kind of I kind of like Iowa to, to look much improved this year uh, offensively. I mean, for I mean, for I mean, for them, obviously. <laughs> um, all right, let's keep it moving. I'm glad we finally have our first disagreement this pod. Uh, let's go. Let's bounce over to the Big Twelve. Uh, what do you like over there? Uh, okay, the Big Twelve. I think that it's hard not to go with Texas. Hank will be happy to hear that. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people will roll their eyes that maybe not Hank. I think that <laughs> a lot of people roll their eyes. Texas has been seen as one of those teams and there's a handful of them that are always hyped up and, and don't always perform. But the reality is Texas is probably been better than most people think. Just like honestly, a lot of those places, not Nebraska, <laughs> they've actually been probably worse than you think um, have been. And, you know, it's, it's a crowded conference, obviously, but Texas, I think Steve Sarkeesian's the right guy. I think that they've kind of, you know, they, they get another year with Quinn Ewers and just, I think that offense would be explosive. I think that they'll still have a great running game, even though they lost to John Robinson. And uh, I just think that they are sort of talent-wise the class of the conference. Um, second is tough. I lean Oklahoma. That sounds lame. I'm not high on TCU. I'm not that high on Kansas State. Um, 
So I guess almost by default, it's Oklahoma again. You're predicting like a huge come up, but just from watching them, I didn't think they. I mean, sometimes they sort of fell apart, but I do think that they can get it back. Uh, so we'll see. It, it's it's a big year for um, for Brett Ben Brett Venables, um, the the coach there. He was the Clemson defensive coordinator for a while. He had a really tough first year, like several first year head coaches had. So I'm curious to see if they can turn around. They, they, they played well in the bowl, bowl game against FSU. I thought they, I mean, I guess they, I'm looking at their schedule now and they didn't turn it around maybe as much as I thought down the stretch, but they played Baylor tough and they beat Oklahoma State 28-13. Yeah, but Oklahoma State was really struggling. Yeah, maybe not, but I'm going to go with Oklahoma. I like the talent. It's more of a default thing. I don't really like anyone in the Big 12 this year other than Texas and everybody likes Texas. So, you know, we'll see. Um, love it. I, I'm I'm liking what Texas football is going to look like this year too. Let's keep it moving to the Pac-12. Our, the the final year of true Pac-12 football. <laughs> final year of Pac-12. I'm not as high on Oregon State as other people are. I kind of mentioned earlier. I'm not a huge fan of uh, DJ. I don't really want to try Uli Young coming in. I don't know if that's like a big improvement. I think that the roster is. You know, like I, I'm always going to be biased towards teams that recruit a bit better. Uh, I'm not even going to mention Colorado, obviously, but I think that you. Why are we not mentioning Colorado? I'm I'm here for what Prime Coach Prime Um, is doing. It. It'll be fun, and somehow he has gotten like two high level five stars the last couple years. But I think I think it'll take a while for Colorado to be any sort of decent. Um, But Lincoln Riley. Has you know for how many years did they were they winning the uh, big Big Twelve in a row? I think they won it like five years in a row with Lincoln Riley, something like that. They're always in the championship game. USC has the roster now. He's got the second year with them. He's got the quarterback, arguably as good a quarterback as he's had. Um, I, I don't see why they shouldn't. Yeah, Utah's won it a bunch of years in a row, but I I don't know when Cam Rising's coming back. Uh, I think there's a real issue there. They lost on Kincaid, who's a really good tight end for them. So I think USC is going to to run with it. Oregon is the clear next team. Uh, they have a really strong roster. Mario Cristobal recruited very well. Dan Lanning's done a nice job in the portal as well as recruiting. And they have Bo Nix in his what seems like a hundredth year, but I actually don't think I think he's probably only like in his fourth year just because he started offering as a freshman. Um, maybe it's his fifth year or something. But Bo Nix, I think, will be good. I think Oregon will be very good. They're clearly the, the toughest test for USC, but I'm going to lean with the, the team that uh, I'm going to lean with Lincoln Riley, who who wins conferences for a living and has explosive offenses, and you know maybe the defense will improve and some continuity. Uh, I, I don't think Washington's quite there. I, a bunch of people are super high on them. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I'm going with USC over Oregon. I'm on the same page as you there. I, I'm not betting against Caleb. Mahomes 2.0. So um, let's keep it going. Uh, finally, we've got the SEC. Yeah, no surprises here. Uh, Alabama and Georgia. I'm going to pick for fun because uh, I'm pretty high on Alabama this year. I'm going to pick Alabama to defeat Georgia. Look, they've recruited at similar levels. Uh, Alabama's actually probably out recruited Georgia over the last four years. They still have Nick Saban. He's. Got new coordinators in place. Um, he, you know, they have a tougher schedule to get there. 
Uh, I think that Georgia's schedule is ridiculously easy, but I think that Georgia's lost a lot over the last few years, probably more than Bama has. Uh, Georgia lost their quarterback, too. Like, everyone's just assuming that Georgia's going to be a healthy amount better than Alabama. But I don't know. I don't know if they'll be tested enough during the regular season. I think it's just super hard to win three in a row. Uh, I don't know when the last time that happened, but it certainly hasn't been in my lifetime. So I don't ever, I mean, I'm sure it happened a long, long time ago, but you know, it hasn't happened in recent memory. I think Alabama will come in battle tested. You know, they play Texas, they play LSU, uh, where Georgia just has, you know, an easy, easy schedule for anyone, <laughs> honestly. So I think they'll come in a bit more battle tested. I think they'll figure out the quarterback position. Everyone's a lot higher on Carson Beck at Georgia rather than Jalen Milrow at I, and I think it will be Milrow, but what do I know? Uh, at Alabama winning job, but they're both new. There's highly talented guys all around. I think that um, I trust Saban to, you know, I think that they can be on par with Georgia this year just from how good they are. Georgia's a better chance of making the, the title game. They don't have to go through LSU. Um, and, and I think LSU will be better than Tennessee. So I'm going to pick Alabama to upset Georgia in the conference championship game. Uh, I think that both teams are going to be great. Obviously, Alabama has maybe a little bit more risk of having you down here, just partially due to the schedule. And um, they have struggled a little bit more, obviously, the last couple of years because they haven't won the national championship versus Georgia. But I'm, I'm high on Bama to bounce back this year. I love that. I mean, personally, I'm probably not betting against uh, the Bulldogs this year, but... We will see. And then finally, uh, let's talk about our make or break team of the year. Uh, what program do you think has the most to gain or lose with a big or a bad season? Yeah, there's, there are a ton of, <laughs> uh, of opportunities for this. Uh, I think uh, I'm just going to go through a couple of the contenders. I think in the ACC, uh, Clemson, I think, will always be solid. I don't know if they're at huge risk of, of losing their appeal as long as Dabo's there. Obviously, you start to question things when they if they continue to struggle at quarterback and defense takes a half step back with Venables being gone um, the second year. But I don't know if they have a huge make or break here. FSU, they're ahead of schedule. I don't think that this is a make or break year. They were probably worse than you think over the last five years before last year. Um, I mean, they were they were below 500 most years. Uh, so I think for them, they're ahead of schedule. There's not a huge make or break year as long as they're decent. Uh, Miami, it's definitely a bit of a make or break year just because they were so bad last year and they've invested a lot into the program by hiring Mario uh, and that they did have, you know, a five and one finish and the most freshman snaps in the country the year before and were preseason top 15. You know, a lot of people say, oh, Miami was hyped again. But, like, Miami's actually done probably a lot better than you think over the last five, ten years until last year where it was truly awful. And if it happens again, I think this whole Mario thing could unravel very quickly. And he's got a ten-year contract, so they might be in a brutal situation. North Carolina, it's kind of obviously a make-or-break year. They flirted with being, you know, that, let's call it fourth team in the ACC, but you could argue better than... Miami, if they could get or, or FSU, whatever, if they get their stuff together, um, they have they have a stud quarterback. I think that 
there was some talks that he was going to leave. I think that could happen again. And there's obviously the NFL draft. Like you got to be good while your quarterback's here. If your coach is super old. Like this is your time. So I think it's absolutely make or break you for North Carolina. Okay. Big 10, Ohio state, not really Michigan. Not really. They make the playoff. Like both of them have been really good over the last two years. Ohio state for longer. It would have to, you know, I think Ohio State would get a pass with C.J. Stroud gone, young coach, the whole thing. Michigan, a little bit. I'd like to see them recruit better off of these results. Harbaugh recruited so well early in his tenure. I think some of the flirting with the NFL stuff has hurt their recruiting. So a little bit like, okay, you get three straight years. I'd like to see Harbaugh put his boots in the ground, but nothing's really going to change. And I think that's about it in the Big Ten. Penn State, you could argue they're a little bit, I don't know if they're ahead or behind schedule at this point, but... I think it's a big year for them to show that they can truly compete with Michigan and Ohio State. Whew. So I don't have a singular answer. Uh, SEC, Tennessee would probably be the big one. They've been, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, like the Texas group of, of teams that always seem to be hyped and underperform. And I think Texas is better than you think. I think Miami's been better than you think. I think that Tennessee hasn't. But last year they were really, really good. And they sort of broke out and came onto the scene. Can they do it another year and establish themselves as quote unquote back, at least in some form? Or are they just sort of like going to go back to where they were? Um, I think that's about it. I mean, LSU preseason number five in the country, a bit ahead of schedule. Brian Kelly will be there for a long time. I think he'll do a good job. Alabama, you call it a make or break year. Saban's getting old. And like, are they just going to let Georgia become that team? But Alabama's still recruiting really well. I don't see it as an issue. And Notre Dame, year two, Pac 12. I don't think any of those teams really make or break. Um, I mean, I guess Washington, you could argue like they've sort of flirted. They made the playoff years ago. Like they've flirted with being a relative big boy. Like this would be a good chance. You know, Utah's potentially going to be down and uh, the Pac-12 is going to have a lot of eyeballs on it. Like, is this an opportunity for them? They're, they're joining the Big Ten and all that. Like, is this an opportunity for them to show out? So those are all the, the make or break teams and what I, potential make or break teams and what I think. I don't have a singular uh, answer for it. Maybe Tennessee is the one that jumped out to me. Whew. Uh, oh, I skipped the Big 12, but I've been talking way too long. So why don't we just go ahead? That was, that was impressive right there. Um, I guess if I have to give one for the NFL, I would lean towards the Browns. Um, I, I was tempted to say the Dolphins, who I think really have the most boomer bust potential. Um, and the, the way this season goes will really affect how they move in the future. I could see them uh, deciding they need to go a different direction at quarterback. I could see them really building off a strong Tua season and continuing to surround him. It, it feels like every single big-name free agent that comes available, Miami's in the discussion. So we'll see what direction they end up going. Yeah, and, they, and they've, traded, they've traded a lot of picks. And they got a bunch because of the Tunsil thing, but uh, but they've traded a bunch of picks and they have a bunch of guys who uh, that probably would be my answer just because you know you trade pick for for Tyreek, you trade for for uh, Chubb, trade picks for Ramsey, uh, you have guys like Ramsey and and Tyreek. They're in the conversation about Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, you have and those guys are kind of a bit getting a bit older and you know you're starting to look at their prime way. Also, you have a bunch of really good players on rookie deals. So, like, eventually they're going to have to get paid, whether it's Tua, Waddle, Jalen Phillips. So, uh, I think for them, like, this is kind of the time where they have the right mix of vets. They've sort of gone all in. 
and you still have guys on cheaper deals. So I I, I like the Dolphins one, but I want to hear your thoughts on the Browns. Oh, the Browns, it's just you have to see what you're getting from the quarterback spot. If we see Deshaun Watson from three years ago, then that really informs their decision-making going forward, and they could kind of push their chips even more all in. They've got arguably the best running back in the league. They've gone out and traded for a strong receiver. I think they could continue to bolster that. They've been great on the defensive line for years. Um, it's just they need to know if they have the quarterback that's able to pull all those things together or if it might be a little bit more time to start getting rid of those veteran pieces, trying to bring back as much draft capital as they can and try and reset a little bit. So I, I think nice. both answers are just the question are a result of the question marks that each team has at quarterback and the unknowns of what they're, what type of production they're going to get. Yeah. And then there's always the, the bangles and bills who is just like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta win now, especially the bangles with, with Burrow being on that last, I think it's the last year of his rookie deal. You know, it's, it's sort of, this is your best shot, but um, let's get to Grant's my gears. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so what really grinds my gears is week zero <laughs> scheduling, week scheduling, W-E-A-K, uh, for college football. Everyone is so excited about college football, or football in general being back, and you know once you have football games that count, for week zero college football, that's sort of like football is back, everybody's watching, tell your, you know, have your friends over, tell your wives that, that it's football's back, all that, and everyone's so excited, and the books are back with boosts and promos. We, we have a hundred percent Navy Notre Dame one. Why is the why is the biggest game Navy Notre Dame? I mean, I get it. Some teams are a little hesitant to, to schedule that early game. Let let them have tr- training camp a little earlier, right? Give them an extra, uh, give them a bye week for week one, right? I mean, there are some. De- I mean, there are some decent games in week one that you could easily move and they would get more highlighted. Like if you put UNC in South Carolina, that'd be an awesome week zero game, in my opinion. Uh, and that'd be one that people would get excited about and give two programs that aren't necessarily always in the spotlight, two quarterbacks that maybe maybe will be in the spotlight this year. Uh, and Spencer Rattler and Drake May, a rivalry game, ACC, SEC. I mean, I, I think that that would be an awesome week zero game. And in and, and, and week one, like, it's just going to get overlooked. So I would like to see some better games. I think the only really good game that we've gotten was Florida and Miami playing, I think it was 2019, something like that. Because uh, it couldn't be 2020 because of COVID. So I think it was 2019 where it was, like, the 150th anniversary and we got, like, a week zero game of two ranked teams and it was a close game. Uh a rivalry game, Miami UF, like that's kind of how the, the South Carolina, North Carolina would look. I guess UM, UM and UF are bigger, bigger programs than UNC and South Carolina, but still, like, give me something like that. Don't give me Navy, Notre Dame. Don't give me, I mean, USC, San Jose State, like UTEP and Jacksonville State. Like, these are just, it's just not it. And all with all of the decent programs that are out there, I don't see why we couldn't get two teams to play a week earlier, let their training camp start earlier, give them buys the next week. Like you figure it out. Even if it was just West Virginia, Penn state, like I said, North Carolina, South Carolina, I'm just looking at the week one games. Like it doesn't have to be 
LSU, Florida State. That's obviously the big week one game. But I wouldn't even hate, even though it's a massive spread, like Ohio State, Indiana. Maybe you wouldn't want to do a conference game that early. Or Virginia, Tennessee. Like, give me two power five programs <laughs> playing each other. And it's good for the schools. It's good for the schools. Might be might be a sloppier game or whatever, but somebody's going to win it and somebody's going to lose it. Same if you played them weeks later. So I I thought that the Miami-UF game was good. Uh, I would have loved if, like, Florida-Utah last year or this year was in that role. I mean, there's there's a lot of options. I mean, what about Colorado-TCU? Like, like, you know, give the defending runner-ups a chance at a primetime game like that against, you know, Deion Sanders, the biggest name in the sport, arguably. So that's what grinds my gears, that we just don't have bigger games. Like, am I still going to bet on them? Yeah, EV, right? EV betting. Am I still going to watch them? Yeah, start for football. But spreads are all massive. The teams aren't necessarily high profile or anything like that. Yeah, I guess there's a small argument of giving UMass, New Mexico State, an ESPN game. But it's not what people are clamoring for. Hawaii Vanderbilt is like the the marquee night game, really. But anyway, I I digress. this is a long episode. Appreciate everybody that's stuck this long listening. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, thank you, Nick.